Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm going to whisper some things to you now about crunch chocolate bars. Because apparently this whispering thing is a thing that makes you feel things. It's saying something crunchy is coming in the candy wrapper language. Mm. Imagine your tongue hiking up those crispy, rocky ridges. Now, drum roll, please. Wow, that's good. Crunchy, munchy chocolate doesn't whisper. Turn up the fun with Crunch. Hello and a warm welcome to the Radio Times podcast. This week with me, Jane Garvey, and Kellyanne Taylor, who's a staff writer at the Radio Times. And you were at the festival at the BFI last weekend, Kellyanne. Really busy as well you were, weren't you? Yes, I spoke to some very starry stars, such as Stephen Fry wow. and Stephen Merchant. That's enough Stevens, thank you. Anybody not called Stephen? Martin Freeman. Okay, excellent. We have, I should say, got some of the best telly I've seen lately in this week's Radio Times podcast. So I'm chuffed to be presenting this week's edition with you. Um, what have we got, Kellyanne? Take us through the lineup. We've got My Name is Leon, a BBC adaptation of the Kit Duval novel starring Sir Lenny Henry, Christopher Eccleston, Malachi Kirby, Monica Dolan, Olivia Williams, and newcomer, child star Cole Martin. Yeah, starry lineup there. Yeah. It is. Then we've got. Borgen, the hugely popular Danish political drama, which is returning for a fourth season, almost 10 years since the previous instalment aired, starring Cesar Babette Knudsen. Yes. Then we've got Somebody Feed Film, Series 5, a travel food programme, like a feel-good version of Anthony Bourdain. And then Avoidance, the new BBC Ramesh Ranganathan sitcom. Yes, uh, I have to say, I, I watched Avoidance and it's, it's a bit more sit than com uh, for me. It doesn't mean it's not good, but I actually found some of it quite sad, which I guess is, is part of it. It's designed to be sad. It's thought-provoking, is Avoidance. Now this week, um, well, I should say, when the stars talk, they talk to the Radio Times podcast. I can't believe you missed it, but if you did, Kit Connor from Heartstopper was on last week's edition. Do search that one out if you missed it somehow. But this week, I've been talking to the brilliant journalist and writer Dolly Alderton whose fantastically successful memoir, Everything I Know About Love, has been adapted now into a BBC drama. And here's a quick clip from our chat, and there'll be more of this later. I changed the names of the characters, and that was mostly so I didn't have to listen to producers argue about how unlikable uh, Dolly was. (laughs) That's Dolly Alderton, who is sometimes very hard on herself, but really doesn't need to be and I think loads of people are going to really enjoy everything I know about love which we will actually review in next week's edition of the podcast but you can hear from Dolly in detail in this week's hope that makes sense Um, any other shows that we should be just mentioning do you think Kellyanne that perhaps don't feature in any detail in this podcast I was just chatting earlier to you about the Ricky Gervais stand-up which has just come out on Netflix now I've seen it I haven't seen all of it because after about 50 minutes he'd kind of shaken me up enough if and I was tapped out I did yes which isn't to say that I don't recommend it in some ways mm. but 
I'm not sure I can voice an opinion, but I'd love to know what other people think about Ricky Gervais's Netflix stand-up show. Uh, podcast at radiotimes.com if you want to tell us what you think about it. Anything you've seen that is worth mentioning? I just finished Conversations with Friends, which has probably been spoken about a lot, but yeah. I do think this year... You know, we'll hear from Dolly later, but everything I know about love, conversations with friends, it seems to be the year of the very, very successful book adaptations, if that makes any sense. Well, Life After Life has also been highly praised, That is, it? and lots of Radio Times readers have been writing in saying that they've really enjoyed that adaptation. I'd never read the book, but the last time I was on the podcast, that was what we reviewed. Yes. And I really enjoyed it. Um, and it seems to be a recipe for success. You know, as, as successful a book is, the more successful the TV adaptation is going to be. Yeah, it's interesting. Life After Life, like you, I hadn't read the book. And I thought that was really brave TV drama. Mm. Um, and it does make you think. And it isn't served up to you on a plate. And you do have mm. to take yourself back a little bit and ask yourself what it is you've just seen. But I thought that was astonishing. And I'm really glad the BBC tried that. Yeah, I agree. I also tried uh, 10% on Amazon Prime, yes. which is the Call My Agent British version. Yeah. And I was very sceptical, um, but I really, really enjoyed it. Although the first couple of episodes very much seems to follow step by step the French plot. And I did think, hmm, could we, could we not have delved a little? We're proud Britons. Surely we've got <laughs> our own plots. I have to say, I did give it a try and uh, I think I'll leave it there because uh, it didn't make me laugh. It's just simply, if it was a comedy, I want it to make me laugh. Mm. Uh, and it didn't. Let's kick off then with this week's reviews. And Avoidance is on BBC One, uh, Friday the 10th of June at 9.30. And here is a clip. Put a milkshake. Before school, it's like 8am. Mate, milkshakes don't get healthier later in the day. But I now retract the offer, so well done. <clears throat> All right. Weird. Why do we have to do spellings? We have computers nowadays, and they have spell check. The truth is computers can do everything. Like, obviously they can, but you might as well learn as much as you can so that you've got something to offer in case of a robot apocalypse or something. A robot apocalypse would be amazing. I totally agree. Apocalypse. A-P-O-C-A-L-P-Y-S-E. No. A-P-O-C-A-L-Y-P-S-E. Yes, Spencer. See? They'll definitely keep you around to be some sort of robot butler or English teacher or whatever. What would they make you? Uh, probably like fuel. <laughs> oh, dear. That's a rather a poignant exchange between father and son in avoidance. Um, tell us what this is about, Kellyanne. Ramesh Ranganathan plays Jonathan, this kind of quiet, reticent, conflict-averse speed awareness instructor. Yes. Uh, who's Have not... you ever done one of those courses? No, I don't speed, Jane. I'm a, Move I'm on. a trusty civilian. Have, have you? A, a couple of times, yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, whose wife, Claire, played by Jessica Nappett, leaves him. And Jonathan is very much hesitant to accept that the relationship is ending, his biggest fear being telling his nine-year-old son, Spencer, about the separation. And he then, after they've separated, moves in with his sister, Danny, who's played by Mandeep Dillon, who most of you will recognise from Afterlife, and her wife, Courtney. Yeah, and it's a slightly uneasy domestic arrangement, isn't it? With um, it is the, the the happy couple. Well, they are largely happy the mm. couple, <laughs> his sister and her wife, uh, and they have these 
slightly unwelcome visitors and there's no they've got no idea how long they're going to stay. Yeah. I actually found this quite poignant at times and and quite upsetting as well as being having moments of real humor in it too. Yeah, um, I mean Ramesh Ranganathan and Benjamin Green create and write this six-part series and I was looking through um as any good journalist does uh his Wikipedia page to try and see if he'd done any kind of in quote-unquote serious acting before. And I was really taken by his performance. I think he is phenomenal in it. He gets, or he really pinpoints this feeling of this very lethargic man who has no real aspirations to get anything done, but has a lot of love and is constantly undermined by those around him. And the relationship between him and his son is poignant, it's searing, it's completely love-filled. And I just, it, yeah, it left me with this kind of feeling of warmth, but also a kind of sympathy for him that everything he tries to do, for example, he goes to a laser quest party with his son who's been invited by the cool kid in class. Jed. Yes, um, and they make a very weird... Um, constant joke throughout about Jedwood because Jed has a house in the woods. Yeah, that that one felt like it was stretching things for me because yes. that, that is that is a gag that crops up a little too frequently. Yes, it's repetitive and also Jedwood actually came sixth on the 2009 X Factor. Gosh, it just seems like yesterday. Um, it, it really does. I know I was at stage with my kids when we were all richly enjoying um, the X Factor so we were yes. certainly familiar with the talent of uh, Jedwood. But they go to Laser Quest and he encourages his son to um, duct tape the size of the lasers so that they can't um, lose basically and then they get thrown out for cheating and it just seems all of his good deeds you know that came from a good place uh, don't really pay off and he constantly ends in a bit of a bit of a stuck situation yeah he's he's a but essentially a good man trying to be a good father and, yeah. and making a, a, a string of poor decisions you can also from a female point of view understand why his wife is slightly fed up with him uh, yes it doesn't make him a bad person because he isn't one but uh, yeah I, I kind of have sympathy with her I, as well i do really hope though that I mean, I've seen the first two episodes and I do really hope over the course of it that he finds his own feet and he finds his own self-confidence and pulls his finger out a tiny bit and wins her back. I, the scenes between father and son could be really cloying, but they're not. And it's partly because, as you say, Ramesh Ranganathan, I have to say, I prefer him as a straight mm. actor to a kind of omnipresent comedic figure yeah. uh, because he was everywhere doing comedy stuff. He uh, is everywhere. But this yeah. is different. And I think it, mm. I, I would urge people who think, oh, I don't, I'm not him again, to actually give this a go because he's very different in this and yeah. I think really watchable. And the lad who plays his son, Spencer, is also an excellent actor. Yes, and I wanted to talk to you about child actors um, because, you know, when... I was growing up, the child actors we had, or the most famous, were obviously the Harry Potter lot. Yes. And I think they're phenomenal actors. Well, they are now. They are now. <laughs> um, the, the standard of talent for children, and we'll, we'll come on to talk about it later when yeah. we review... My Name is My Leon. My Name is Leon. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't believe how funny Spencer is yeah. and, and how well he captures the very essence of of being a child. Obviously he is, but you know, the nuances of, of that exact character. And I, I wonder if they just choose someone who's super similar to the character that doesn't require too much acting or if they're just really, really good because they're in this world of play. Yeah, maybe, maybe that is it. But you're right. I think the standard of child acting has definitely improved. 
The actor who plays Spencer is Kieran Legendra and he is well worth looking out for. Um, this is a bittersweet comedy and it's on BBC One. Starts Friday the 10th of June at 9.30. Definitely, I'd give this a whirl. I really would because I think it will surprise you. Uh, it's rather tender and rather thought-provoking and, yes, it will also make you laugh. Next up, Somebody Feed Phil. This is wildly popular on Netflix. Season five has just landed. It's a travel and food show. It stars Phil Rosenthal, who wrote and created the US sitcom Everybody Loves Raymond. That was also a massive success. Ran for nearly a decade. Here is a clip. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The sauce. Wait a minute. The sauce. It's like barbecue. Crazy. So good. This morita sauce is one of the most damn delicious things I ever put in my stupid face. Right? She can just like come here and sell this salsa to go and that's it. She doesn't even have to make any more food, but she loves it, so <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it. But she, this is a genius who makes yeah. that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's from her heart. From, from my heart, I love this. Phil enjoying his food, as he does consistently throughout the many, many episodes of Somebody Feed Phil on Netflix. Now, this is one of those Netflix, I couldn't call it a sleeper hit because it really has been massive, but I hadn't really heard of it. And that actually goes for quite a lot of hugely successful shows on Netflix that are very popular with their fans, but pass the rest of us by. Yeah, I mean, there's so much content out there. Um, and I think if you're if you have a niche interest and you're looking for something specific, you can find a wealth of shows on Netflix. But I think if I've never seen um, Everybody Loves Raymond, didn't know who Phil no, Rosenthal was. No. So it would, I would never have clicked on it. No, I wouldn't. And I'm sort of glad the Radio Times podcast has alerted me to the talents of Phil mm. Rosenthal. He's obviously a very, very clever guy. Yeah. But there's no escaping the fact that this is another travel show done by a white middle-aged man. And I just don't know how much more we need to see of men travelling to countries that they're, they're not from, uh, largely, um, and trying lots of food. But um, what what I was really interested in was how on earth do people wind up doing these types of shows? What what qualifications do you need? You know, I'm, I'm here, I'm ready, I like food, I like culture. Um, and I wonder, what if you're a fussy eater? Because in this, he doesn't say one bad thing about, about the food. Anything. No, that's actually no. true. Um, I've watched a few of these, and I have to say they are... They're palate pleasers. I love food and I, I like a bit of travel, although I'd prefer to do most of my travel from the comfort of my sofa, if I'm honest. So this, this actually ticks a few boxes for me. And Phil is really watchable. Mm. He, ha he has a certain charm. Maybe his appeal is, is lost on your age group, but I quite like him. Um, he's a guy in an anorak. Um, he, he sort of goes around. He's very pleasant to people. As you say, he, yes. he doesn't quite gush, but he certainly enthuses about every single place he goes to. Beautifully filmed. Um, the one I watched set in Madrid was made the place look, and it is a beautiful place, mm. very tantalising, full of history, gorgeous back streets, welcoming people. Um, who wouldn't want a plate of tapas with Phil Rosenthal in one of the gorgeous back streets of Madrid? But you are right in that I think we have seen all this before. Mm. And yes, you're, I guess, do they just sign up all these restaurants on the basis that they only will be nice about them? That you, yeah. you say you'll appear... 
in the show, mm. no money will exchange hands, but um, you'll certainly get a lot of praise. Yeah. The one that I watched was set in Oaxaca. Right. Interestingly, they went to this commune or this kind of female collective um, that were filled with women who couldn't find work, widowed women, women who are fleeing abuse, right. and they make these really beautiful rugs. And that part for me was really tender, is, is seeing a tiny bit more of the culture yeah. alongside this very nice cuisine yeah. that he's eating. And he also has guest stars who come in. And I thought that was interesting as well. The dynamic changes slightly. So he eats with people um, who are locals and he also eats with people... I think the one that I watched, he was a Westworld um, actor. Right, OK. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm afraid I wouldn't either, but I'll take your word for it. Mm. Uh, the Madrid edition was... It was a vegetarian's nightmare, I have to say, because <laughs> it was consistent, a huge, a very physical enjoyment of flesh. Uh, animal flesh, wow. a lot of pork, mm. and at one point he eats a suckling pig. And I don't know if I didn't know much about suckling pigs, but they are quite literally roast baby pigs, right? Slightly squashed. Did you feel squeamish about a that? little bit? Mm. I have to, and to be fair, so does he, but it doesn't stop him eating it. I saw him eat worms um, and beef tongue, and mm. I don't know how I'd feel about the worms, but I d I did feel good things about the beef tongue. You did. OK, well, we'll let that one lie on the file. Um, I, I think if you don't know anything about Phil Rosenthal and you enjoy food and you like travel, this is a very blameless way to spend an hour and a bit, isn't it? Um, yeah. I think you'll enjoy it hugely. He did. He has come to London. I looked, I haven't seen that episode, but I gather in season three, there's an episode filmed in London um, where he explores all the sort of street markets and, as you say, hugely enjoys everything he comes across. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I mean, not everything can be critical. Not everything needs to be nasty. No, and also sometimes all you need is some easy watching. It's very much something that you can either sit down with a cup of tea, glass of wine, enjoy, or you can be shaving your legs, doing work, <laughs> yes. doing the ironing, whatever you fancy. It's a it's as much as a watcher as it is a background telly kind yeah. of program. It, it's, it's comfort telly. Yes. And, uh, yeah, unlike um, that flattened suckling pig, which <laughs> I won't forget in a hurry. Yeah, you can find season five of Somebody Feed Phil uh, on Netflix. And uh, if you enjoy season five, well, there are, you won't be surprised to hear, four other seasons you can tuck into as well. Right, um, coming up we'll be talking about Borgen, yes it's back, and the BBC drama My Name is Leon. First though, earlier this week I was able to talk to the journalist and writer Dolly Alderton about the upcoming BBC adaptation of her memoir, Everything I Know About Love. All you need to know if you haven't read that memoir is that this is about four girls sharing a flat, they're in their early 20s and it's 2012. Here's a clip from the trailer. Who's it from? Who do you think? I just got a boyfriend. Nothing will change, Maggie. That's the only thing people say when everything's changing. Birdie's really defected, <laughs> hasn't she? Yeah. That's OK. You sure? Yeah. Everyone I know has got so old and unfun. Hi. And I'm like, sorry I want to live before I die. That was a clip from Everything I Know About Love. And here is uh, the series creator and the author of the original book, Everything I Know About Love, Dolly Alderton. How are you feeling about it? Are, are you the sort of person who does get nervous about reactions? 
it's such a different beast when you've made TV. I think making a show has made me realise actually quite how lonely it is being an author because you have this amazing marketing team and you have one editor, but you're basically sort of booted out onto centre stage in a spotlight on publication day. Whereas with TV, there are so many moving parts and there are so many people who've made decisions for the last year and a half that basically what I'm trying to say is (laughs) it's not just my fault, it's all of their fault as well. Right. Um, so you feel you feel safer, do you? Yeah, it feels like it's a shared, it's much more collaborative making TV. Right. But honestly, you don't have anything to worry about. You do know that, don't you? Every okay. time I worry. I'm going to have to put it to you. This is a rather female approach to things. Uh, and do you think male authors and screenwriters go through this sort of hell as well? Do you know what I have really envied, Jane, with male showrunners? is this week I've been prepping for all the screenings and I've been doing lots of press. And on top of that, for the screenings, I've had to go get a spray tan from a place called The Walnut Club. I've had to get clip-in fake hair. I've had to get like three million outfits, all of which I hate. I've had to sit down in a chair in the outfits to make sure I'm not flashing my knickers 21 up after. And then I do think about Jamie Dimitriou just like putting on a suit from Burton's. Yeah, I'm afraid you're right. It's just not fair, is it? It really isn't. Um, okay, let's talk about, first of all, let's talk about the difference between the book and the show. Um, have you had to make any concessions or any other compromises here? Well, the thing with putting something on screen is you're always going to have to kind of hone in on the story. So the book was actually, even though kind of very little happens plot wise, it sort of covered my entire life up until the age of 28. So... I had to work out what the kind of emotional journey we were going to tell and what the kind of relationship journey of those seven episodes were. And we thought that these uh, four best friends moving to London as graduates was an exciting time to find them. And we kind of focused on that first year. And then in terms of kind of themes and story, the main similarity between the book and the TV show is that the central drama is a relationship drama about female friendship in crisis and it's kind of told with the same lens as you would tell a romantic comedy between a man and a woman. I changed the names of the characters and that was mostly so I didn't have to listen to producers argue about how unlikable uh, Dolly was. <laughs> and analyse all the mistakes she was making. It just felt sort of existentially too strange to to kind of think of myself in the third person in that way. And actually, it completely liberated me the minute that I gave me and my best friend in real life different names. I actually realised what I was doing as I was not doing an ad- adaptation of the book. I was doing... I was telling a story on screen that was inspired by the essence of the book because... When you're writing memoir, you're so constrained by real life and real life can be quite restricted. It can be quite limited. um, It can be quite one note. The story can be quite unsatisfying. So I just realised why in a world of TV would you not just expand the world and, and kind of blow off those constrictions? So do you expect the audience for the TV show to be people who've read the book or people who are coming totally fresh to this and have no idea what to expect? Or is it a mix of all three? There are definitely little treats that I wanted to leave for people who had come from the book because I'm so grateful to all those readers and they're the reason why this TV show has been able to happen. So, you know, that central 
friendship, those two best friends, I really wanted that to remain. The sense of a kind of raucous girl gang, I really got the sense that the readers enjoyed that in the book about what it is to be a female hedonist and what kind of female wildness looks like. And I also wanted to retain a sense of nostalgia, a very kind of millennial specific nostalgia of what it was like to grow up in the noughties being kind of the same age as the internet. Yeah, I think there's a great phrase actually from, I think it's the first episode, um, your 20s are a grubby golden phase of life. Um, And it was like that for you, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm definitely in danger with my 20s of romanticising them simply because I've narrativized them and talked about them so much. So I'm very wary of my own mythology and I had to be wary of that when I was talking about the ups and downs of of what 20-something life was in this show. And I do think of it as a time of, you know, high adventure, high hedonism. And I also think of it as time of fragility and confusion and, you know, grief as well. So I wanted to try and capture all of that feeling. Because I think that's what every, you know, most people feel about their 20s if they were lucky. They look back on it and they treasure the fun and they want to go back for one Friday night, but they're so glad they're not there anymore. Yes, and, and uh, the issue for women, without being too serious, although there are some serious serious parts, you know, to the story, we, we know that, those of us who, who are aware of it, um, is for females, young women, hedonism comes with some risks, doesn't it? Not least the fact that you might well be judged more than men behaving in the same way. Yeah, and that's something that I really wanted to showcase. What are the repercussions of that? But I didn't want to punish the characters and what about the casting? Tell us about the, the four main characters. Uh, you've got Emma Appleton playing the character is now called Maggie. I did a lot of rewriting of her lines after the casting process because I realised I was writing a lot of her lines like she was a journalist because that is, you know, she is a writer, that character. I'm a writer. So she was very kind of pithy um, and it didn't help with humanising her. So I did a lot of kind of reworking of her once we'd found the right girl who was Emma and Emma was perfect because she just made every line natural. She managed to kind of play all these different kind of um, contradictions within Maggie, like Maggie. Maggie is someone with a huge amount of front and confidence and swagger, but she is also someone who is incredibly insecure and um, confused about who she is and what she wants out of life. It was so important to play all those layers because Maggie makes so many mistakes, like so many 24-year-old girls who have like a you know, great appetite for life, let's say. Um, and we needed to see into Emma's heart because we needed to just keep with that girl because Maggie's the main the main character she's the memoirist we're hearing from and yeah we needed to forgive her for all that all those mistakes when you were in your 20s and you lived you were living your london life what was the best night out that you had so I, I really do, I wouldn't know. No, not the good, not the horrible stuff. Such want... a good question. No, that is the best question I've ever been asked. Oh. I'll tell you the best night out of my life. I was 24. I'd just moved to Camden in a big house that was identical to the house share that is the set of the show. And Martha and the Vandellas were playing at Camden Jazz Cafe. And uh, me and my housemates got last minute tickets. We just walked past and saw a sign and got last minute tickets. We drank beer, danced all night. And then Farley and I got up on the stage for dancing in the street and uh, she didn't kick us off. In fact, we were given mics and uh, <laughs> oh we sang with the backing singers. <laughs> and then 
we went to a lock-in at our favourite pub and then we got went to a kebab shop and got cheesy chips with burger sauce and then we went home at 4am and Farley's heel of her shoe broke. And that is the best night I've ever had, I think. That, to be fair, that was a, a cracking answer to quite a good question of mine. So <laughs> that, do you know what? That really ages me because I'm pretty sure I was already on Woman's Hour and I interviewed Martha, Martha Reeves that week. Um, oh, did you? Yeah, so I was a middle-aged old giffer doing Woman's Hour and you were on the stage with her. It was infuriating. <laughs> The stuff where you and Birdie in the show, sorry, Maggie and Birdie, are dressed up in a variety of handing out leaflet kind of roles. Did you really yes. do those jobs? I did, yes. I would pound the streets of Knightsbridge normally, often um, promoting a rib restaurant, sometimes dressed as a giant pig. Well, I bet your mum is thrilled to bits. Is she getting the neighbours in? <laughs> I think she might have a viewing party. The thing that's a bit of like a double-edged sword with my career is that every time my parents are excited about something I've done, they inevitably have to deal with it being incredibly sweary, incredibly sex-filled or incredibly booze-filled. You know, my first dating column in a national newspaper, I think the words clap clinic were mentioned like seven times. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a complicated win for my parents. <laughs> That's every mother's nightmare, can I say. Absolutely. <laughs> She is brilliant. That's Dolly Alderton. And uh, you won't be surprised to hear, I've seen a, a few episodes of Everything I Know About Love. Not all of it yet, because I am rationing myself, because uh, I've been able to see some previews. Very, very fortunate. Um, and we'll talk about it in detail with Rihanna when she's back next week. But have you read the book? I have. I read the memoir, and I think it was just as I came out of uni. And I remember sitting in my garden, jobless, um, you know, with absolutely no idea what the next steps were. And I remember crying, laughing. There's an anecdote where she gets a taxi from London to Leamington Spa, which is where I went to uni and Warwick, yes. um, because she's very drunk and she, I think, is going to have a one-night stand. I remember that, yeah. Um, and I cannot wait to see this. I think it's... I think Dolly is brilliant. Um, and, you know, I've I've listened to the Hilo. There's been... That's her podcast with Pandora. Sykes. Yeah, yeah, and she recently did The Sentimental in the City, which was really good. And I think it's going to be hugely popular. And I'm very excited to see it. Yeah. Um, well, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Uh, now, something else that I, is just brilliant, actually. My name is Leon. It's on BBC Two, Friday the 10th of June at nine o'clock. Actually, the 10th of June is shaping up to be a fantastic day for terrestrial telly because oh. you've got avoidance. You'll have to record that and then watch My Name is Leon or I'm sure you can find everything on iPlayer, of course. Uh, it's set in the 80s in Birmingham. It's a one-off film which tells the story of nine-year-old Leon, a mixed-race boy, and his quest to reunite his family after being taken into care and separated from his blonde blue-eyed baby brother. And he needs to be with a family that can look after him properly. Isn't that right, Maury? He is with a family and we do look after him properly. We know how much you care about him. Wouldn't you like to see him happy? Forever, I mean. That's what we want too. We want the best for everyone. You've been through so much. Taking care of your mum and your little brother. You did a brilliant job. A job you should never have had to do. And this is a very hard decision we've had to make. What are you talking about? <clears throat> He'll understand. 
Yeah, um, that is the point at which there, well, there's an attempt to explain to Leon that his baby brother is going to be taken away from him. They've both been with the same foster carer, but the little baby is going to be adopted by a white couple. And you mentioned the quality, Kellyanne, of child actors. Cole Martin is the young boy who plays Leon, and he's absolutely brilliant in this. Yeah, this film, um, I... I hadn't read the book, um, but I came into it. It's by, uh, we should say, by Kit, Kit Duval. Yeah. And um, it's a Sunday Times bestseller, right. I think. Um, and it was just gorgeous. It was so deeply affecting, um, this story. And this the kind of poignancy of watching something told through the eyes of a nine-year-old um, against the backdrop of the Birmingham riots um, in a period kind of governed by racism. Um, and there were moments of joy, there are moments where communities come together and you get this real sense of him finding his, his sense of self, even as a young boy. And then there are moments which break your heart mm. and will and will make you sob. And it's not one of those that makes you cry at the end. It's kind of this fluctuation of emotion throughout the entire one hour, thirty minutes. What did what did you think? Well, I just like you, I was hugely invested in it. Um that ninety minutes flew by. And I, I hadn't read the book. I think I actually will read it now. Um, I thought there were some exceptional people in this. I mean, Christopher Eccleston actually has a bit part, but he is in it as well. Mm. Uh, Monica Dolan is fantastic as the, the foster carer, who initially, Maureen, I think her name is, you're not sure about her. And in fact, yeah. she isn't sure about fostering. She's trying to get out of the of the game because she's been in it a long time. And it's, it's one of those jobs that I know I couldn't do. Mm. And, you know, she has a nice little house and suddenly she gets these two, two kids who arrive literally on her doorstep with the social worker and that's her quiet life blown out but she develops a a beautiful relationship with the boy Leon and indeed looks after the baby too but she also isn't in brilliant health and um, I I just think it it just really carries you along the story and you're right there's some really terrible reminders of how bad things were for people of colour in Britain back in the 70s which is where this is set in the early 80s in Hansworth in Birmingham I hope people really watch it and I hope they get a lot out of it. Lenny Henry is uh, briefly in it as a sort of older man who Mm. works at an allotment or has an allotment that um, Leon discovers where he finds uh, black people that he can be with and can learn from and he feels at home in that environment. I think that's important too. My favourite character from this is the gardener who he um, makes friends with called Tufty who's played by Small Axe's Malachi Kirby and I think Malachi is a phenomenal actor yeah. and they create this bond and one of the sweetest moments for me in this is Leon visits the allotment and goes back repeatedly and is on his quest to find his younger brother who has been adopted yeah. and through that relationship, he starts to get a self-confidence. You know, he sees this very buff older man um, who kind of takes him under his wing and he stands in front of the the mirror and starts punching to try and get his physique like um, Malachi's, who plays Tufty. Um, And it was that real moment of... You know, it's spoken about time and time again of seeing people who look like yourself and finding inspiration in that and finding 
a confidence in that. And I, I really enjoyed that relationship. And it's also through this relationship with Tufty and the communal gardens, which seems like a community hub for a lot of um, the black community in this film. And it's where Leon starts to learn that about his own race yeah. and um, why his younger blue-eyed baby brother has been adopted and he hasn't. And I think this will be a film that many will come to and it will stay with them for a really long time afterwards. Well, it should do. It's very Mm. stirring. Um, Monica Dolan is never anything other than brilliant in absolutely every role she plays. And interesting, Olivia Williams. I didn't really spot Olivia Williams playing the part of her sister, who again is a a character about whom you feel real ambivalence to start with. Mm. But she also changes. I just want people to watch this. I don't don't want to give away too much more about it, but I really, really hope that people watch it. Also, it's worth saying, while we're talking about child actors, the baby in this oh he's gorgeous baby Jake is not only gorgeous but he's also a brilliant actor he is um, he cries on cue he cries I mean his reactions his facial expressions um, I cannot praise I don't know whether normally in, in, play, in plays like this and films like this the baby is played by twins because they're mm. not allowed to be on set for too long are they I didn't I didn't remember I'm afraid to check the credits to work out the name of how many babies played the part of baby Jake but uh, just wonderful it's beautifully filmed the baby's yeah facial expressions absolutely gorgeous Uh, so please do please I hope you've got the message watch My Name is Leon BBC Two Friday the 10th of June at 9 o'clock of course it will be on the iPlayer afterwards now um, some emails Kellyanne let's catch up with those what have you got there in this week's inbox an email from Rob from Brighton it feels a bit late to be recommending this show as its final episode after six seasons is about to air on Amazon Prime in UK. But This Is Us has been one of the outstanding TV dramas of the past few years. If you've never seen it, it's hard not to give the early surprise away. But essentially, it's about one family story told over many years. It's funny, sad, occasionally a bit cheesy, but ultimately life-affirming. And they've managed to tie all the threads together beautifully so the story feels complete. Do give it a try. Thanks and keep up the good work. Uh, Rob, you are a trillion percent correct about This Is Us. Uh, I have indulged. I haven't yet got round to watching the final series. I don't know whether I can bear to. Um, There's also something about, which Rob doesn't mention, something about Jack, the character of Jack in This Is Us. Have you watched it? No. Okay. Well, this will be one for This Is Us fanciers only. But I, I find Jack absolutely captivating. One of the things that intrigues me about him is why is he attractive when his hair often looks as though it needs a wash? <laughs> anyway, um, what else have you got? And we have an email from Claire. She says, Hello, ladies. Never written to a podcast before, but just wanted to say how much I love the show and how useful it is. Also, having just heard your review of Selling Sunset, Never Watched, Never Will, I wondered if you've seen The French Agency on Netflix. It sounds similar, but so much better. Full of Parisian French real estate porn, quote unquote, and the most enviable, good-looking family who run the agency. I think it deserves a mention on your show, if you like it, of course. P.S. Pretty chuffed that I guessed... 1986. Well, get you, Claire. Well done. Congratulations. Um, Yeah, Selling Sunset is easily... It's one of the worst 20 minutes of my recent life, um, the period of time I was able to devote to watching one episode of Selling Sunset. My flatmate, I know she's hungover when I get home and (laughs) she sat on 
the couch yeah. watching Selling Sunset yeah. eating Chinese. Never a good sign. <laughs> uh, that sounds a little bit like everything I know about love. That's very much the kind of vibe in that flat in Camden. Right, we don't have a clip of Borgen because, spoiler, it is in Danish, but there are handily placed English subtitles for the rest of us. It stars Sidza Babet Knudsen as the former Prime Minister of Denmark, now having, unfortunately, to deal with the ignominy of being the mere foreign affairs minister in yet another coalition government. It's almost a decade since the third series aired and it starts on Thursday the 2nd of June on Netflix. That's when it first becomes available. I have seen some of the previous series, though I wasn't a mega fan. I don't really know why, I've got to be honest. Actually, I do. It's because of the subtitles. So if you're going to watch this, you've got to properly watch it, Kellyanne. You cannot just be scrolling on your phone and looking at Twitter with it wobbling along in the background, which you can do with, for example, Somebody Feed Phil. Uh, so did you get into this episode, Because the first episode of series four? Because I don't think you've seen the others, have you? No, I watched a few episodes of the first series, but I don't think you need to. I think if you want to start afresh from series four, I think it's very easy to get into. Although I would say, if you're going to give it a go, it is concentrating telly. Yes, you need to have your I mean. thinking cap have on. Have your wits about you. You do. You need yeah. to be reading the subtitles. My kids, for example, and people of your generation, they're really into subtitles. So they'll put subtitles on even if it's in English. I don't really get that. Jane, it's so we can eat our snacks and hear what's going on at the same time because you can read. Oh, OK. Right. That's it. Just You're not having enough crisps with your telly watching. No, certainly not. I might have an avocado or something of that nature, <laughs> perhaps a kiwi, but I certainly wouldn't have crisps, Gillian. How could you? <laughs> um, did you... I liked the plot. I mean, the, what happens... I don't think this is not a spoiler, but this series starts with um, our heroine Begita is no longer the Prime Minister she is merely the Foreign Affairs Minister in mm. yet another Danish coalition government but the Prime Minister is another woman Yes, and um, it's quite old fashioned this but they are sort of pitted against each other it's the same old same old yeah. um, for all Scandinavia's modern promise what we've got here essentially is a catfight between two leading women there's a feature that ran in Radio Times last week and there was an interview with Sidza and in it she said that her initial kind of grievances about coming back was that there was going to be this cat fight. And I think what is important is that actually, I think Begita, her character very much is used to being this woman of power and she was the prime minister for however many years and now yeah. she's not the most important woman in she, the room. No longer. And I think that's really interesting. I think the the cattiness between two females, like you say, I think I don't know if I think they're pitted against each other because they're women. I think they're pitted against each other because they have very differing views. And I think that that, that is an interesting dynamic to explore. Oh, yeah. I wonder whether the twist in the series, which I, and I will watch it, by the way, because I've been definitely drawn in is the fact that they have to work together mm. maybe in the end they'll realize that there's no future unless they work together which i yeah. hope we should also say um what's happening in the plot is that oil has been discovered in greenland yeah. now i greenland i had to google this but greenland is sort of governed ish mm. by denmark causes a lot of grief the greenland folk are not all that chuffed about that they've made this discovery but oil doesn't feel very modern it's not exactly environmentally friendly what is everybody going to do i think that's a cracking plot twist and really mm. makes you think on in any number of levels. And also, Bagita's going through the menopause. Yes. And I really like the fact that that's front and centre. Maybe it's perhaps pointed out a little too 
Claude Hoppedly in the very first episode where she's constantly asking for windows to be open and changing yeah. her shirt. But at least it's acknowledged mm. and it's it's very much a, a hint that this is a woman who maybe feels that her powers are waning and she's yeah. made a fool of a little bit. There's a sort of cock-up in a meeting where she looks a little bit silly. Not really her fault. Mm. Also, her assistant is the spitting image of Matt Smith. <laughs> I see that now. He's absolutely like his Danish twin. I mean, I don't know why I threw that in, but it was something that definitely um, occurred to me. So I'm, I'm in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch this. Yeah. I definitely am. I think it's really interesting because it very much reflects kind of the political issues that are going on today, and you can see, you know, questions about climate change. There's yeah. also references to the kind of power, the futurist female hashtag COVID. Yeah, you know, even. Um, Russia invading Ukraine, it, it feels very relevant and very, although it is fictional, on on the mark about yeah. the kind of political undertones of what we're going through. Something I did think was that if you're not into political dramas, I don't know how easy this is or how accessible it is. And, and what I mean by that is that often dramas that revolve around a specific industry, as in they follow the daily machinations of people within a certain field of work, are generally more accessible. And when I'm thinking of this, I'm thinking of things like Suits, Call My Agent, Mm -hmm. Succession. And this is very much the day in the life of a politician. And there there are words that are banded around, policies that are spoken about that I have Absolutely no idea what they're talking about. I, I let a large part of it simply slip, slip away <laughs> from me. Slide on over my head. As I tuck into that kiwi fruit. By the way, I've never eaten one in my life, so I don't know why I mentioned that as being my snack of choice. That really would be a lie. Well, it is a lie. Um, yeah, I think you can. You can enjoy the um, the power struggle without really knowing what some of those power struggles are about. Yeah. Also, a welcome return for the crisp white shirt. I like to see those in drama. Mm. I like a woman in a jacket. Yes. Um, I'd like to be able to rock that look myself. Me never too. really been able to do it. Um, so I think Borgen fans will be highly delighted to see the return of it. Borgen Power and Glory is the name of this Netflix series. starts on Thursday, the 2nd of June. So if the Platinum Jubilee is just too much for you, you can retreat to this Danish place of safety and um, get the whole thing in one great big Netflix dose. Now, it's time for what we watched. And I'm in the hot seat this week and the questions will be asked by Kellyanne after we've heard the fanfare. Okay, fire away, Kellyanne. It's time for this week's What We Watched. Jane, you know the rules. I'm going to throw some memories your way from a classic year. I think you'll get the decade easily. It will just be the small matter of the correct answer. So just tell me which year it is. Ready? Yes. Your first clue. Home to games such as It's Your Letters, Ugly Blokes and Show Us Your Face Then, live from Riverside Studios, the living embodiment of Britpop, TFI Friday launched in this year, which mainly consisted of Chris Evans' apologisings for sweary guests. Live here on Channel 4 from now on at 6 o'clock. This is the place to be if you want to hear live music from Skunk and Nancy. As well as that, I'll be talking to Dawn French, Kathy Lloyd. I'll be in bed with Cher, and the Lord of Love will be here too in all his splendour. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, good evening. evening. Chris Evans, I find a little of him goes a long way. (laughs) Uh, But uh, 
No, you'll have to you'll have to fire another one at me. Okay, your second clue: what some consider the mother of the fly on the wall reality TV docu soap boom, Airport, a glimpse into the staff and behind the scenes of London's Heathrow Airport, and who could forget no nonsense bag rummaging goatee legend Jeremy Spake. Jeremy Spake is the check-in supervisor for Aeroflot Russian Airlines. See, the thing is, let, let me just say to you, you need to be honest with me for me to be able to help you, OK? Yeah. And if you're going to be hiding bags from me, no, not yeah, it's not going to help your case. But bear in mind that your bag is already 18 kilos over. Okay. Yeah, but bear in mind you are only allowed five kilos of hand baggage into the aircraft cabin. Ah, oh, Jeremy. I did like him. Uh, oh, I think I've got the decade. You're right. I think I'll probably need one more, though. OK, final clue with a clip. Along with docu-soaps, we just couldn't get enough of interior designers filling our homes with MDF and then stenciling it. <laughs> Changing Rooms introduced us to the likes of Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen, Anna Richardson and, of course, Handy Andy. This is our freestanding shelving unit. Only seconds after finishing in Linda's room, disaster struck. The added weight of all those books proved too much for the freestanding shelves. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh, oh no. That is all our teapots. I think we just have to put our hands up on this one. <laughs> I don't There is something very chilling about the phrase freestanding shelving units. <laughs> um, I, can I make a guess now or are there, is there any more? There are some more clues, but on. you can... Maybe one more clue then. OK. Girl Power began its chart domination with the first single from the Spice Girls, Wannabe. All right. Um, 1997. So close. Oh, no. 98. No. 96. Yes! <sighs> Almost a win, but not quite. Yeah, all right. You're very hard, a very harsh mistress. Thank you very much, Kellyanne, I think. I'm quite looking forward to seeing Rihanna now. Um, <laughs> Rihanna Dillon will be back next week uh, to co-host the Radio Times podcast. Don't forget, of course, the Radio Times magazine is out today and the cover is a very interesting one. Illustrator James Weston Lewis was inspired by the Radio Times cover from the coronation of George VI on the 12th of May, 1937. I did my best, he says, to capture some of the same energy and classic feel of the original. Well, see what you think when you get a gander at this week's Radio Times cover. It's out today, the magazine, your complete guide to everything that's worth watching on television over the next week. Now, if you want a list of the programmes we've talked about today and where to find them, you can go to the episode notes wherever you get your podcast. Follow to get episodes as soon as they come out. And importantly, please tell everyone you know that when the stars talk, they talk to the Radio Times podcast. So it was Dolly Alderson this week, last week, Kit Connor from Heartstopper. And you can still find, of course, that Kit Connor episode uh, on your general feed of pods. If you want to subscribe to the Radio Times magazine, buy subscriptions.com forward slash Radio Times. And if you still want more, don't forget Smart TV, the weekly bite-sized podcast, which brings you the best of what to watch. Anything we might have missed, hosted by Radio Times TV expert, David Butcher. And of course, the Radio Times podcast is produced by, let's see if Kellyanne can do this something else for immediate media oh, it's not quite the right way but i'll give you i'll give you six out of ten for doing it that way thank you kellyanne take care <laughs> <laughs>